1: capitals are the 2018 stanley cup champions it's not a dream it's not a desert barrage it's lord stanley and he is coming to washington
0: Welcome back to Japers Rink Radio. I'm your co-host, Greg Young, and uh, happy to be joined by uh, Jacob Rash uh, of the Rashcast. Um, so to kind of intro this a little bit, we're doing a bit of a different show here. Um, as you know, Japers Rink Radio is, you know, you're kind of home for Capitals talk and Capitals coverage. Uh, and we said that we're going to do this every week, and, uh, you know, we're sticking to that. Uh, we're going to have... Um, a guest uh again later this week to talk about the capitals, but we figure that, you know, we're at a big time, you know, in DC sports. And uh, you know, the big time being that the Washington Nationals are about to play in the World Series as we are recording, um, they're going to play tomorrow. Uh, I think the game is at eight ish, right, Jacob? Uh eight oh eight PM. Eight oh eight PM. Said. Oddly specific. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um so uh, I guess it's something to do with national T V. But I digress. Um, so I have invited Jacob here. We're gonna talk about the Nationals. Um, we're gonna also talk about the Caps. We're gonna kind of tie it in later. Uh, we kind of after the break, we're gonna have a overall discussion and thoughts, kind of comparing the seasons a little bit. I know we've done that before a little, but I kind of want to go in depth a little bit with that and uh, kind of talk about like what the Nationals run means to DC and like you know maybe also a little bit about the kind of importance of, you know, DC Sports' recent success and kind of, you know, what does it mean to maybe shed the lovable loser tag a little bit, you know, or lovable uh, immensely struggled in the postseason. So uh, that was a bit of a long-winded introduction and roadmap, but uh, Jacob, welcome. How are you?
1: Thank you for having me. I'm doing quite well. And let me just say that uh, while I am not a huge hockey fan myself, uh, when I was in third grade, my elementary school won a contest uh sponsored by the caps it was like a, a reading is fun type contest and i got to meet ken clee and Slapshot. shot wow. and i have a ken clee signed puck somewhere in my house so uh i guess i am kind of a hockey expert then
0: i mean you are a ken clee uh that's a, that's a deep cut too i love that you know that's uh i haven't thought of it i mean one, I'm all about the alliterated, alliterated names, right? Right. So, so great. But yeah, wow, that's it. That is a deep cut. So uh, I, will, I will officially brandish you a, uh, a hockey expert. So uh, I don't know if I could do that via Skype, but I, I have officially designated you. So uh, congratulations. So Jacob, uh, introduce yourself a little bit. How long have you been uh, rooting for the Nats and kind of what is your uh, history in terms of doing Nats-related uh, things?
1: Sure. So I am... Uh... 25 years old i got in on the ground floor of nats fandom they moved here when i was 10 years old so i've never really known another team uh i've been a nats fan obviously since 2005 i have uh, i went to i did not go to the first ever nationals game i didn't have tickets for it as you may know it was a very hard ticket to get yes but i went to game number two and uh, i got on camera uh, the masks and cameras picked me and a friend up. Uh, and so I have that picture somewhere in my house of me at the second Nats game on TV. So uh, I go way back. Uh, that's just the way to put it in perspective. Uh, and I have, at various times, written about the Nats, blogged about the Nats, uh, and I currently host a small-time podcast uh, called The Rashcast, because I couldn't think of a better placeholder name, and we're still going with it. It's, it's uh, working so far. Yep, and I host it with my brother. Uh, we talk about the Nats for about a half hour a week every week. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't wouldn't call myself a, a Nats expert in terms of official credentials, but uh, I watch every single game, which I guess... I, I don't know I uh, I don't have official credentials but uh, I like to think that I know quite a good deal about baseball I was my my official credentials in terms of actually working inside baseball uh, I have worked in the past as a baseball broadcaster for a minor league ball club uh, and I uh, you know I've been a baseball fan all my life and I, I like to think I know a little bit about it so hopefully this will help you learn something or at least be enjoyable if not
0: (laughs) you can always just not download it right you know i will i will mark it very clearly um so i have a little bit of background here too uh which actually we talked about in your show a little bit but uh ended up not making the air but uh we actually (laughs) know each other um because we both went to law school at the university of michigan so uh a theoretically fine place to go to law school will be the the awkward phrase that i'll use there well
1: as fine a place as there is to go to law school i think that's a good way to put it
0: yeah exactly uh, i don't jp will get a kick out of that so uh in the sense of uh yeah you know like uh Being a lawyer. I've never heard of any people being depressed in any way about being a lawyer, right? Everyone
1: loves it. It's
0: perfect. 100% job satisfaction. So there you go. Everyone Um, loves
1: lawyers. So it it all makes sense.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Um, Okay. So the Nats, they have, um, they have made it incredibly far. um, Obviously, pretty much as far as you can go. uh, Yep. You know, so I guess, Jacob, I kind of curious, like, just overall thoughts on this run for the Dats. You know, I mean, they've we talk about that this is a team that has beat maybe one of the best teams, well, undoubtedly one of the best teams in baseball, you know, in a really thrilling five-game series. Uh, knocked off the Brewers in a similarly thrilling five-game series or a one-game series, and uh, knocked off the Cardinals in a delightfully not thrilling uh, 4-0 <laughs> sweep, um, you know, in which, I mean, I think... Game four seemed to have its hairy moments, but aside from that, you know, you always felt at least somewhat comfortable, you know, at most of the points during the game, so I don't know, kind of like, this is a broad question, and we're going to go into a little more detail in various places, but kind of just overall thoughts on this run for the Nats.
1: Well, as as someone who has watched the last eight years of Nationals baseball, where they've gotten tantalizingly close delivering their fans any sort of moment, any sort of memorable moment that they can cling to. And they've given the Nats, or the Nats have given their fans some memorable moments to cling to, only to snatch them away by following them up with terrible, soul-crushing defeats. Uh, I mean, the Nationals followed up Jason Worth's Game 4 home run in 2012 with a crushing defeat in Game 5, the Pete Cosmo game, Uh, In 2017, they followed up a Herculean Stuff of Legends performance by Steven Strasburg as Flu Game with a crushing, soul-destroying defeat in Game 5. The great thing about this run is it has now given us multiple moments that can stand on their own that can't really be soured by any future failures. Uh, The Soto two-run single and error in the wild-card game. The Rendon and Soto home runs off of Kershaw in the NLDS. The Howie Kendrick grand slam in that same game, in game five, to seal a victory for the Nats and send them for the first time to the second round, to the NLCS, where they steamrolled the Cardinals, held him to a 130 batting average and a slugging percentage under 200, uh, in what has to be considered one of the most thorough dominations of another team in any postseason series, those moments all stand on their own. And, And a pennant, even without a World Series win, a National League pennant is something that you can celebrate. It's something that you can, on a scoreboard or around a ballpark. It's not the the four division titles that the Nats have displayed prominently around Nationals Park because they've had nothing else to display. So that to me has been the greatest thing about this run. The Nats now have given their fans something to cling to. Uh, and obviously a World Series would be even greater than all those things. But even absent that, they, they have something now And we we have moments that we can look back on and say, wow, I can't believe that happened and I got to be a part of it.
0: Yeah. Now, okay, I'm going to ask you a question that has no answer, but I'm curious about it. So um, now I think to me, I mean, you look at these games, particularly, you know, the first six games, right? You know, the five games against the, the Dodgers and the one game against the Brewers. And you think, wow, you know even, even more than just making, you know, the World Series, these were just incredible games. So, I mean, do you think you would have the same emotion? Do you, I, I mean, and I struggle with this too. Like, would I have the same emotions if, you know, if it had just been clinical and they had swept the Dodgers and won six, nothing against the Brewers, you know, I, I mean, because it seems to be at least a little bit that one of the mantras, and I know it's a cliche, but yada yada, you know, of wow, you know, this team kind of overcame the ultimate adversity. You know, 19 and 31 is now just a catchphrase among Natsans. And so <laughs> do you think there was something maybe to the way that these games were played that kind of added to it? Or do you think you were always just going to have this kind of indelible achievement by just the nature of even getting there?
1: I think it's not just the way that these games were played. It's not just the way this season has been played. It's also the the seven previous years of frustration yeah. that have built on and added to the sort of, specialness of this moment I think had the Nationals say ran through and won a pennant in 2012 only to lose in the World Series to say the Tigers uh, I think that would have been special and it would have been fun Uh, and that whole season was special and fun because there were no expectations and there was no burden The, the team was unburdened a by expectation and b by any sort of history but now, here we are in 2019. This is a team that's been burdened by crushing failure for seven years after regular season success and heightened expectations. It's a team that, that almost looked like it burned through its core. It lost Bryce Harper. Uh, its players are aging. I mean, it, yeah. It, it felt like last year was their best chance to finally close things out and win a title. And instead, they finished at 82 and 80. So this season had a lot of urgency to it at the beginning, but not a lot of expectations. And then the the 19 and 31 start sort of blew all those expectations away or or all that urgency away. And it just seemed like it might never happen. And every single step of the way, The Nationals have managed to surprise and delight and come up with these improbable comebacks. You know, first in the season, then, I mean, you want to talk about sort of a prelude in the regular season uh, that Mets game where they were down six. In the ninth inning, a game I was at, and
0: then I I'll I'll steep in shame for this. I I left at the ninth at the you know I I wow I can't believe I'm admitting this out loud, but I will All admit it. air. I left it's now. Uh, there's yeah. a record of it. I I left that game in the uh at the at the top of the ninth inning.
1: I don't blame you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I I'm not going to shame anyone for leaving a game early. I often do it, uh, which whether or not that makes me a true fan, I don't know. I I rage quit baseball games a great deal. Yeah. Uh, I know that uh, the previous best comeback in Nationals history in the ninth inning was uh, June 21st, 2011. Uh, That was the game where Wilson Wilson Ramos Ramos walk off. Yes, Yeah. That's the Wilson Ramos walk off. Uh, And I left in the eighth inning when it was five to one because I had stubbed my toe earlier that day (laughs) and it was hurting. Uh, so I don't get to <laughs> shame anyone for yeah. leaving a ball game early, yeah. but, uh, so they, they pull out that improbable comeback. Then they pull out the improbable comeback in the wild card game. They beat a team that I don't want to say they had no business beating the Dodgers because that's not accurate, but to beat the Dodgers required a whole bunch of breaks. They yeah. were a clearly worse team, certainly over the course of a regular season. With the Dodgers, the Dodgers' main asset or greatest asset, the one that, that makes them into an 106-win team, is their incredible depth. Yeah. Uh, but that's sort of neutralized in a very short series of five games. The Nats were able to use their starters in relief. They were able to uh, roll out Scherzer and Strasburg in three games of that series and the three games they won were the ones where those guys pitched. Yep. Uh, they took advantage of that. They took advantage of unbelievably questionable decision-making managerially by Dave Roberts in the fifth game of that series. Uh, and they managed to pull out a victory that I, I don't want to say they had no business doing, but it was certainly something that defied the expectations. Yeah, the odds high. were definitely
0: stacked against them in that series. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, and to come back from 3-1 down in the eighth inning. Yeah. Uh, against, and obviously the decision to, to bring him in was questionable, but it's still Clayton Kershaw, yeah. who is the best pitcher of his generation. Surefire and a Hall, of famer, Hall of Famer, yeah. So they have overcome expectations and odds every <laughs> step of the way. And overcome this sort of crushing sense of inevitable failure that has come from watching the Nationals in the playoffs the last seven years. And yeah, I think that's made things more enjoyable. Yeah. But I, I don't know that it would have been meaningless had none of those things happened beforehand. But it definitely has more meaning because of that.
0: Cool. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, very much agree. I mean, I think that. You just look at this run, and there's just so many moments that I'm just going to have in my head, you know, regardless of what happens in the World Series. I mean, how many... Okay, over under 30 times. How many times have you watched the like the Howie Kendrick Grand Slam?
1: I have watched the Kendrick Grand Slam... I can't even count how many times. Yeah. I've watched the Soto single even more, though. Yeah, I
0: think I have, too. Uh,
1: I've watched the Soto single more, and I watched... Uh, charlie's call of the last out of that game about a hundred times it's it's my favorite thing in the world because you can tell off the bat he's thinking oh god it might be gone yeah what if this is just another crushing cool, touch yeah
0: crushing. Right, to
1: after to the annals of nationals history yeah and then he slowly realizes that robles is going to catch it and then when he catches it it's just the most pure expression of joy from him from the crowd it's just it's just an incredible moment uh, and i'm glad we have it yeah
0: um awesome i I, I very much agree um all right so that being said um let's talk about the world series
1: the world series i can't believe that's being said yes
0: (laughs) I, i right i mean like i feel like i'm saying that and i still hasn't I mean it'll process tomorrow when, you know, at eight oh eight PM I will be, you know, that familiar combination of, you know, nervous and uh excited and, you know, pacing around my room and, you know, screaming quietly so I don't aggravate my roommate and his cat, you know, and yada yada. <laughs> but like uh oddly specific there. But, you know, I'm yeah, I I'm I'm just excited. So uh let's let's but let's do it. Let's talk about the World Series. So let's do it. All right, so the first thing I have on my list of things to talk about is the starting pitching matchup. So it looks like, and Jacob, please correct me if I'm wrong about this one. So it looks like it's going to be Scherzer and Cole for game one, right? Mm-hmm. Well, then it's going to be Verlander and uh, Strasburg for game two. That's right. And Corbin, Granke for three, we think,
1: right? Possibly. So yeah. there's there's a possibility that the Nats will use Corbin in Relief either – in game one or game two. Yeah. If need be. And if they have to do that, then they're in a lucky spot where they can just flop Sanchez and Corbin. Uh, now, I don't know how effective Corbin will be if he has to work out of the bullpen for one of those two games and then come back in game four. But, uh, I mean, it's certainly an option.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and so, I mean, the beauty of Sanchez pitching as well as he has so far is that it kind of gives you that option, no, of like, you know, you can f- throw him on game three, and, I mean, you probably like Granky in that matchup a little bit, but it's not crazy, right, you know, that, that Sanchez could maybe come out in front that game.
1: Well, I mean, the interesting thing there, I mean, obviously, Corbin and Sanchez will each have to pitch at some point, yeah. In this series. So flopping them so that Sanchez is, is starting game three and Corbin starting game four doesn't really do that. I guess that's much.
0: true. But yeah, it doesn't the, really matter.
1: Ultimately, the big concern is that you're, you're basically choosing which one of those guys is going to start multiple games, possibly in a seven game series.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, now the benefit of having Corbin start game four as opposed to game three is as soon as he starts game four, in games six and seven, he would be available in relief. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know how. I, I don't the, the the problem that you bring up, uh, and it's a valid one, is that then you're looking at Sanchez versus Greinke in game three, uh, and it's possible that you're already down two zero at that point. And that game becomes a super duper must win.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And would I feel better about Corbin over Sanchez in a must, must win game? Probably.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Maybe D- despite how well Sanchez is pitched.
0: Yeah. I mean, we just have more evidence that Corbin's probably a better pitcher. You know, I mean, sample size aside, you know, playoffs aside and everything like that, you know, I think we probably have a little more evidence that Corbin's a better, but slightly, you know, I don't know if the gap is even that huge, although it's probably pretty decent, you know. So uh, that being said, let's talk about game one a little bit. Um, So it's almost certainly going to be Scherzer and Garrett Cole. And uh, I mean, you got to think Astros kind of advantage there. I mean, Garrett Cole has just been otherworldly this year but kind of what what's your read on that game you know kind of with that matchup
1: well you're right Garrett Cole has been he's allowed one run in 22 innings in the playoffs he has struck out the world basically since mid-may
0: yeah
1: he's held I mean he's he's had an ERA under one including the playoffs and he's on one of those runs Where I mean, he's the likely Cy Young Award winner in the AL. He's the likely, uh, I mean, best pitcher in baseball at this point. He's got an an 100-mile-an-hour fastball. He's got no platoon splits to speak of. Uh, He holds both lefties and righties to an OPS under 600. Uh, He actually strikes out lefties at a higher pace than he strikes out righties. Uh, He's going to be hard to beat. But, on the other hand, the Nationals have Max Scherzer, who is certainly capable of matching zeros with anyone.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and then that's, you know, if the game is one nothing, do I think it's more likely that the Astros have come up on top one to nothing than the Nationals? Yes. But could I see a scenario in which the Nationals steal a game from Cole? where Scherzer outpitches him, or where the Nats get a fluke run. I mean, stranger yeah. things happen. Runs score, you know, due to no fault of the pitcher all the time. We could be talking about an error, you know, say a two-base error. Sure. Uh, or a couple of weak ball. ground
0: balls that find holes, you know?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I think you're right that Cole versus Scherzer is an edge to Cole, but... I don't know that you would have anyone else going opposite Cole. I mean, Scherzer is one of the top five pitchers on the planet just because Cole is the best on the planet right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Nationals could win that game. Oh, totally. Uh, And the truth is, you know, to sort of bring this into an overarching point, the Nationals need to steal one of the two games in Houston to have a chance at winning this series. Uh, and, and frankly, if they do that, I wouldn't just give them a chance. I would call them coin flip favorites to yeah, win the series. Yeah, I
0: think that's probably right. Uh,
1: I mean, they'll, they'll come back. It'll be a best of five series. They'll have home field advantage. Uh, and they'll have games three and four, the more winnable games, coming up. Uh, do I think it's likely that they win either game? I mean... With home field advantage, with, I would say, the Astros having the two better starting pitchers in games one and two, and with the Astros having the better lineup, again, marginally, uh, I wouldn't put the ads, and I, w- I wouldn't give the the, uh, the Nats great odds. I would call them underdogs in each individual game. But that just because yeah. they're underdogs doesn't mean it's, impossible for them to steal one of those two games well
0: and, and in fact it, you know i mean just statistically it might be likely right you know i mean if you're talking that say that they're i mean we can even go extreme say 65 35 right which That's i think is I probably thinking. a bigger edge than i would even be willing to say right like even if you do that you know the odds that the nats steal one of those games is still above 50 percent, no so yeah. you know i think the the one beauty of it and we'll kind of talk about game two a little bit is you know when you throw Strasburg and Scherzer, they're such good pitchers that, you know, even if, you know, the other side's, you know, going to throw up an ace, you give yourself a really, you know, a good chance to, you know, at least a chance to win kind of no matter what.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's the point. The Nats have pitching that is capable of matching Cole and Verlander and, and transitioning the game two. Yeah. Berlander has, you know, he was excellent in his first start of this postseason. He came back on short rest to start game four of the ALDS. He was very hittable. Uh, in game two of the ALDS, ALCS, his next start, he gave up two in six and two-thirds, a very good start. Uh, and a game six or game five, excuse me, of the ALCS, he gave up Uh, four runs in the first inning in a game his team would eventually lose. So, I mean, he settled down after that, and he's still an incredible pitcher. Uh, Interestingly enough, Verlander has been an excellent playoff pitcher until his team has reached the World Series. Uh, He's never actually been a particularly dominant World Series pitcher. Uh, Let me see if I can pull up the stats on that. I know that obviously in 2012, he gave up two of the three home runs to Pablo Sandoval. In, oh yeah, I uh, remember that. I remember uh, so that. he yeah. has a an overall postseason ERA of 3.26, but it's 5.67 in five World Series starts, which time uh, he's gone 0 and 4. Yeah. So, I mean, whatever that means, it's an incredibly small sample size. But you're talking about small sample sizes. With all of this, there's yeah.
0: small sample size galore in a lot of ways, you know. So, I mean, okay, I'm kind of tying games one and two together. You know, I'm going to ask another impossible question, but you did good with the first one. So, do you, I mean, with Garrett Cole, too, I mean, you looked at it, maybe his last game against the Yankees was among his most hittable. So,. No, no, no,
1: no, not hittable. Well, he didn't have his command, and it didn't matter. Yeah, he gave up four thing. hits
0: to maybe one of the best lineups in baseball. So He gave home, up four so.
1: hits and five walks. Yeah. The amazing thing about his, his start uh, was that he didn't have his command, yeah. and he was still unhittable. Dominant,
0: yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so here's, okay, and I, I suspect, I, I I think I know your answer to one of these, but I'm curious about it say that, like, do you think there's a chance that one of them maybe hits a wall or, like, you know, I mean, this is, I think, for Garrett Cole, among the most innings he's ever thrown. You know, Verlander, you've seen kind of struggle later to seasons. He's getting a little older now, you know. What do you think the odds are that maybe one of them maybe hits a bit of a wall and, you know, throws up maybe kind of a mediocre start? And contrast that with the Nats, you know, where, I mean, Scherzer, I think, has been decent in the post in the World Series although I I don't know off the top of my head you would know that better than I would and you know for Strasburg this is obviously getting way up there in terms of innings that he's thrown too so in terms of combustibility do you think that you know either one do you have like a you know maybe thoughts on like is is there a possibility for a blow-up in one of these kind of four total starts over the first two games
1: well let me say this about Verlander in 2011 between the uh, between the regular season and the postseason, Justin Verlander threw 271.2 innings. Uh That's a total. I mean, he threw 251 in the regular season. That's a total that's unheard of nowadays. Yeah. Uh, Garrett Cole has thrown 200 innings in three out of the last four seasons. Uh, these are. As, as much as we have them nowadays, workhorses. Uh, I mean, the same could be said of Max Scherzer prior to this year. Uh, Strasburg, not so much. Strasburg, the most innings he'd ever thrown in a season, before this season he'd thrown 214 innings. That was in 2014, five uh-huh. years ago. Uh, this year, between the regular season and the postseason, he has thrown 233 innings. Uh, the 231 innings, excuse me. Sure. Uh, so the Nationals have had that massive layoff of six games, or six days, excuse me, in between when they last played and now. Mm-hmm. they've That's given them a chance to align their rotation. It's given them a chance to uh, give Patrick Corbin some rest, get him back on a regular starter schedule, which is why I'm sort of skeptical that they would use him in relief, uh, sure. but I don't see. I mean, I don't see any signs of wearing down in any of these guys. Uh, if anything, the possibility of wear down is a negative for the Nats as opposed to the Astros. Okay. Between the injured Scherzer, uh, you know, not really injured, but sort of working his way back from that back injury, who is he said in uh, both game four and game two of the ALC or the NLCS that his arm was essentially dead after yeah. he finished throwing uh, and Strasburg, who is well above his career high in innings pitched, although he's shown no signs of where uh, I would say that that factor hurts the Nats. If it hurts anyone at all, Okay, I don't, I don't see any likelihood that either Cole or Verlander are are going to wear down. But of course, I mean, it's, it's a multi-factor thing. If they have a bad start, it's hard to say if it's attributable to them hitting a wall or just having a bad start. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's certainly possible that one of the two Verlander and Cole will have a bad start.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. um, Okay, so kind of preview the first couple of games. Um, I think game I think it's fair to say games three and four might be are pretty heavily dependent on games one and two. So I think kind of looking too far down the road seems a little folly there. Plus, we talked a little bit about kind of Corbin and Sanchez and the balancing there. So you obviously know the Astros roster um, decently well. You know you, you're talking about being a big baseball fan. What's like. Maybe a play, Maybe name a player that, you know, isn't a Carlos Correa or a Justin Verlander or some of that caliber. Maybe who you think is going to play a bigger role in the, in the series because of the challenges the
1: Nats present. Well, so obviously the Astros' big strength is that they have an incredibly deep lineup. Yes. Uh, that is – so this is a hard question because the Astros have so many stars – yeah. Uh, they have stars pretty much up and down their lineup, so it makes it a, a difficult thing to say who is the X factor when all of these guys can you know, be at X least factors. Five or, it's not even that they're X factors; yeah. it's they're the guys that you would circle <laughs> yeah. in, in a production meeting if they were on any other team uh, or yeah. in a scouting meeting, as the but, guy you
0: need to walk or avoid or yada exactly. yada. Exactly. Yeah, uh, no, that's fair.
1: So, but if I had to pick someone who I think is the key to this series. I would say it's Jordan Alvarez. Interesting. Alvarez is the the likely rookie of the year. I came up mid-season, only played 87 games, but he hit 313, 412, 655, hit 27 home runs. Uh, he looked for all the world like an absolute masher at the plate. He's only 22 years old. Uh, but in this postseason, he's only got one hit. In uh, thirty plate appearances, and or uh, actually more than that, let me just yeah. check in on your. He's he's been bad. I think it's fair he to have, say. Yeah. Well, so he he played pretty well in the division series, but in the A L C S, he was one for twenty-two, with two walks, uh, and that one hit was uh, just a single. Sure. So. I don't know what that means. Uh, could it be that a rookie who's never played this deep in a season is starting to hit a wall? Could it be that the this is his first time dealing with an unjuiced baseball? Now, I doubt that second one, because Alvarez has what they call light tower power. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think that he would be the type of player to be affected by something like, at DG's baseball. And and more than that, his struggles were not contact related or or they were related to the lack of contact. Mm -hmm. We're talking 12 strikeouts in 22 at bats, uh, in the, started looking like a
0: rookie for the first time.
1: Right. I mean, this is the first prolonged struggle he's ever had. Uh, the reason that I call him an X factor isn't so much him as the fact that the Nats have, no left-handed relievers. I mean, they have Doolittle, and they have Roanis Elias, who they'll probably carry. But uh, they don't really have someone that they can match up Alvarez with in, say, the fifth or sixth inning. Obviously, if the Nats have to remove their starting pitcher in the fifth or sixth inning, things are looking kind of dire anyway. Mm -hmm. But uh, Alvarez, by virtue of being a lefty and by being a power hitting lefty poses unique problems for the Nats. And, you know, other than, other than, uh, Alvarez and Michael Brantley, who it's lefties and righties pretty equally. Well, the Astros have a pretty right-handed dominant lineup. Sure. So that makes Alvarez the kind of guy who, if he can perform, can swing a series. Yeah. Uh, so he's my pick.
0: There you go. That's good. All right. Um. So we're at thirty-five minutes already. Oh, there you go. Talking about the Nats. Um. <laughs> so I, I we're gonna take a break shortly, but uh, but and after the break, we're gonna talk a little bit, kind of about what this means, you know, and contrast this with the Caps a little bit. I'm also I've sprung a surprise trivia game for the Nationals at you to show how absurd your knowledge of the Nationals box score is. Uh, Yeah,
1: you can rebuild my credentials after I knocked them down in my intro. There you go,
0: there you go. Um, So, but before we do all that, um, just, uh, what are your thoughts? Give me a a prediction.
1: Okay, Uh, and as much as I hate to do this, I, if you put a gun to my head and said you had to make a prediction, and uh, that is what you're doing. That is. uh, I would say Astros in six.
0: Yeah, that's actually kind of exact. I'll, I'll be different, and I'll say uh, uh, Mark Zuckerman had the Nats in seven with his, uh, I think, pretty generous analysis of the play of the position by position. Although, I mean, obviously very smart and good writer. Um, I, you know, I would say, uh, yeah. I mean. I think, I think it, you just look at this. I think the the likely pick is probably somewhere in the Astros 6-7 to seven range. You know, I think the Astros are a better but not way better team. I thought the Vegas odds of them were a little high, at uh, least to me. Um, so I go, yeah, I think I'm going to mirror you and go Astros in 6 and just keep my fingers crossed that I'm wrong. So uh, that being said, uh, we're going to take a break here. And uh, on the other side, we're going to talk a bit kind of about the community and kind of what we all think that this means. All right. Welcome back to Japers Rank Radio. Uh, Jacob, it's uh, been great having you on. So uh, you're going to kind of... I'm going to ask you a broad question. And, uh, you know, you hit on it a little bit earlier, but what is... I guess maybe... What does this mean to you? What does this run mean? Like, you know, what do you... How has this changed kind of your... Has it changed your thoughts about, like, the Nationals and being a fan? Like, what is... I I guess I'll just go broad. What does this mean to you?
1: Well, so... I have been, at, at certain points in my fandom, I, I think after the the loss in Game 5 in 2016, which honestly was the most understandable loss of the four Nats postseason. Somehow among the most crushing, though. Yeah, well, it was the only one I was actually there for. Oh. Uh, so that, that may have played into it. But after Game 5 of the 2016 a, NLDS... I wrote a long rant on Twitter about how I watch baseball games, but I don't enjoy them, that the the most I can ever muster is relief. uh, And I I watch them out of a sense of obligation and a fear of missing out, uh, but I don't watch them because I get joy out of them anymore. And I went on this long rant about how my relationship with sports was becoming toxic to me, and I, I didn't know if I could do it anymore if i needed to step back uh obviously this is all overwrought and overblown uh because it was right in the midst of a crushing playoff defeat and uh i may have been a little bit drunk but <laughs> how,
0: how all great twitter rants start right
1: <laughs> Yes, uh, i really do think that they should have a breathalyzer test uh to log on to twitter
0: amen amen 100% that would be a really agree. good idea yeah
1: <laughs> but uh I think that at least for me, you know, I've I've watched especially the NLCS games with almost a complete lack of tension in in a way that I'm not really sure that I've been able to do before, or at least since this run started. Uh, I have a tendency to watch baseball in a way that makes me panicked and tense and uptight. Uh, And then when something good happens, it it almost doesn't cause me joy so much as relief. But that's, and I, I found myself, and maybe it was because of the way the Nats played in that NLCS, but I found myself, I mean, enjoying every single moment of that series. There was never a moment where, I felt dread, uh, which is a common emotion (laughs) to feel during a Nationals playoff game.
0: I think it's just during postseason baseball in general. You know, it's hard not to have that sometimes.
1: Well, I mean, it's hard for me to say how other teams fans feel. Uh, I feel like when you're a team with expectations and you've been there before, the emotion is less dread and more anger. You know, if you're a Yankee fan and the team doesn't win or the the cut doesn't come through, I don't think you feel dread that they're not going to do it, so much as anger if they don't because you know that they've done it before and you don't feel some sort of I don't know, deep uh, psychic curse. You yeah. feel more, you know, an expectation. Uh but that's just me doing armchair psychology. No, 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 no.
0: I think that makes sense.
1: Uh I think with the Nats the thing that I've been able to take away, and I mean, obviously, I think this is the thing that would change the most for me if they win the, the World Series as opposed to lose it, is just a sense of a lack of pressure on each game and on the season in general. Uh, the feeling that they finally accomplished something worth accomplishing uh, is really freeing, in a sense, because it means... That, you know, even if this is the peak, the apex of Nats baseball, it's still a a peak to look back on fondly. It's something that they've accomplished. I mean, there are teams that don't get this. There are teams that are of equal talent to the Nats that never managed to accomplish this. Uh, You know, I I think a lot about uh, it's the sort of mirrors... Uh, the late nineties early 2000s astros in my mind interesting uh, now that those astros team or that astro's team did finally get over the hump and uh you know they made the world series in five only to lose in a sweep
0: uh pretty unceremonious sweep too
1: <laughs> you know it actually each of it was a good series fight but yeah i i think that's that is a world series that by virtue of the fact that it was a sweep, and by virtue of the fact that it was won by the Chicago White Sox, a team that doesn't really have a vocal fan base. No. It's it sort of
0: like it's the World Series everyone forgot. It's like, exactly. Both metaphorically and sometimes literally.
1: Exactly. But the, the, that Astros team had an amazing core featuring two Hall of Famers uh, in Bagwell and Biggio uh, and a bunch of other fascinating and, you know, Hall of very good type guys. Yeah, like a Berkman. Berkman and everything. Yeah. Right. Uh and they never broke through. They lost three consecutive division series all to the Braves. Uh then in 04, they finally won a division series only to lose to the Cardinals, their biggest rival. Uh and then in 05, they finally won something. And I know I don't know how Astros fans feel about that, but the fact that the Nationals have gotten at least something out of this core of players, uh, something for Ryan Zimmerman's 15 years, you know, a pennant and a ring from that pennant that, that Zimmerman can wear, uh, you know, it's meaningful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll see. I can't really tell you <laughs> how I'll feel if they lose this World Series going into 2020, but it, it certainly feels good right now
0: it's been, it's been a fun ride either way. Right. You know? Yeah. uh, Yeah. For the first time I can say like, this is, and I think that's something about this team too, that has been, I mean, obviously I think whenever a team goes this far, you're, there's a tendency for your brain to kind of create narratives, you know, because ultimately sports is just a weighted number generator, right? Yada, yada. But like, (laughs) you know, I think that there's something about this team in particular, there's just a lot of really fun players on it. And I think it's, it's, I mean, the, the the only national team I could even kind of equivalent was, or, you know, have any kind of equivalent almost was, you know, obviously forget about what happened at the end of it, but the 2012 nationals in the sense of they were kind of doing the unknown in a way, you know, there'd never been that kind of run before in terms of even making the playoffs. And, you know, there were a lot of fun. You had the Michael Morse year and everything like that, you know, but I, you know, I, even this team, I think it kind of dwarfs it just in terms of the sheer personality and just, ridiculousness of some of the players and it's at the same time, you know, they're an incredibly dominant juggernaut. That's been one of the best teams in baseball, you know, over the last three, four months. So I, I, I think this team too, wouldn't you say has been just a lot of fun.
1: So the thing that made the 2012 team fun more so than the personalities on it was, and you touched on it is the novelty of the whole thing. Yes. There were no expectations for that team. Uh, I think I remember reading the ESPN, the magazine season preview for 2012 and being so excited when ESPN, the magazine picked the Nats to win the second wild card. Yep, And I was just thrilled because the possibility that that team could make the playoffs was shocking to me. And then there was that statement that Davey Johnson made before the 2012 season where he said, our, pitching staff is just as good as the Phillies pitching staff. And keep in mind that this is a Phillies team that had won 102 games the year prior that had the big four, Roy Halladay, that, that yeah, Cliff Lee, Roy Oswalt, uh, and Cole Hamels on it. Uh, and everyone laughed him out of the room. Uh, but, and he ended up being right. Regardless, but the the point is that that team was fun more so because it was an unburdened season than because of any of the players on it. As someone said this on Twitter, I can't remember who a while back. uh, This team seems to be the 2019 Nets seem to be the first team where the team chemistry has come before the winning. Yeah. Uh, these people all seem to genuinely like each other, uh, and the the clubhouse has a very different flavor than it's had for any of these other runs. I think the Nats had a reputation, a largely deserved one, of being sort of a a stuffy team, not not to maybe the uh, the heights of the Brian McCann fun police Braves or anything, yeah. But it was a very white team, a very sort of
0: traditionalist tra- team in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. I mean the most fun player on that team was Bryce Harper. Uh and Harper got sort of buttoned down and very uh I mean, after those first two years where he seemed to hustle all over the place run till they tag you, he seemed to just turn into a, a traditional star baseball player whose marketing gimmicks annoyed more than they uh brought joy. Yeah. Uh, and that's not revisionist. No, uh, it felt
0: a little forced, I think, even at yeah. the time.
1: But this team has a diverse flair, uh, or diverse, not flair, that's the wrong word, but it, uh, it's got a a diverse feel to it, where it seems like, you know, it, it's not only got, the clubhouse has a good mix of leadership from, you know, it, it's got Latino leaders it's got white leaders it's got players who bridge that gap obviously you're thinking of Brian Dozier yeah that's
0: that's the name I had in my head you know someone who kind of like you know because I think there's I mean and I think Doolittle talked about this at one point there's a natural kind of divide that just happens sometimes because I mean it's a group of people and this just happens with people right of like you can kind of self-segregate and when you have a player like a Brian Dozier who if I'm not mistaken isn't he fluent in Spanish yeah, pretty he's close to it. very
1: hard towards fluency. Yeah,
0: and I mean, you know, and someone who's just actively willing to kind of bury that, you know, and you see, I think, you know, beyond just the results of, like, you know, just kind of the impact that just has on them as people.
1: Yeah, I mean, and the funny thing about Dozier is, you know, to all the world, he sounds and sort of looks like a good old boy from Mississippi. Sure. But uh, he's he's definitely exceeded my expectations for what type of person he is uh obviously we don't know these people we know them sort of facially and and through what we see uh, and through what the, the, the things that they want us to see sure uh and the narratives that the media and the team push out but dozier has surprised yeah and uh you know this team has legitimately organic celebrations and uh Things that bring the fans in—it's uh, a—it's a lot. Of, I mean, it's a fun team. The season has been a lot of fun. The season's been fun in part because of the personalities, in part because of the way that they have diminished expectations and then exceeded your wildest expectations. Yeah. Uh, it's been a really meaningful year, and it's been a really fun one. And obviously, if they win four out of the next seven, it'll be an even more meaningful year. But even if, if this is as far as they go, just to be able to play the last game of the season is pretty incredible.
0: yeah, I agreed, agreed. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Well, we are at 50 minutes, so uh, oh boy JP's going to yell at us, but I, I have to while I have you on, I have to play we're gonna, we're going to call it Nats Trivia, so um, sure. I am going to give you a date, and I'm not going to know if the Nats even played on that date. Uh, but I will look it up and I'll maybe give you the two teams and you're going to give me a um, do your best to give me a quick rundown of what happened on that day and uh, kind of the basic breakdown of the game. So you ready? OK.
1: Yeah. If right. you give me the, if you give me the teams, I can probably do it.
0: OK. All right. So we're going to pick. Um, let's just let's start easy this year. All right. So we're going to pick June 16th. Of 2019 this year. what ha- they, The Nationals played the Diamondbacks. What happened in that game?
1: Give me the day of the week and I can tell
0: you. It was, all right, June 16th was a, uh, sorry, I will look this up. Um, June, uh, I knew they
1: played the Diamondbacks on June 16th. I just couldn't remember what day of the week it was. I think it's Friday. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It was the first Nats game of a homestand.
1: Okay, so it's the Thursday game. They yeah. got absolutely shut down. This is a bad omen. That omen that you picked this game, they got shut down by Zach Granke. Wait, the 16th? uh yeah, I have the 16th. Not the third. Okay, 16th is the Sunday. Oh, you're right. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. I know that because my birthday is the 13th. <laughs> said it was the first game in the homestand, and that was the game they got shut down by Granke. uh The 16th, they won going away. Yes, it was they an did. absolute destruction. Uh, let's see. Uh, right. Strapsbury Pitts Saturday he lost it was a 10 to 4 game. Uh I believe they won 15 to 5.
0: Yeah, that's correct. All right. Um okay, do you um there was a player that homered twice and had uh they were both bi- It was like Matt big- Adams. He Matt had Adams. Had 7 RBIs. All right. Uh he hit a uh looks like a grand slam and a three-run homer.
1: That's right, 7 RBIs. He had two hits, both of them were home runs.
0: Okay. All right. So we're going to call that a win. Um so we're gonna go yeah.
1: um let's that's see. that's a win
0: yeah we're, we're giving you a win yeah that's, that's fine, fine. Uh, that's an
1: unqualified win. yeah yeah, absolutely. Proud about. I, yeah yeah
0: all right uh all right i'm looking up something else uh doo-doo-doo. okay so um may tw- and i'm literally just making updates as i go um so, so here we go um May 20, uh, this is 20, uh, one sec. This is great podcasting, obviously here. Um, (laughs) It's perfect podcasting. All right. Wednesday, May 23rd of 2018, the Washington Nationals played the San Diego Padres. What happened in that game?
1: Okay. Which game of the series was that? This was the, let's
0: see, uh, I believe it was the, uh, last game of that series.
1: Okay, crap. Well, I'm getting it confused in my head with yes, the it was final. I'm getting it confused with the the final game of the 2017 Nats Padres homestand, uh, where Joe Ross got beaten five to three. I know that's not that game. Yep. Uh, let's see. Oh Maybe, man. Oh, all right. Boy. It's uh,
0: it was a Wednesday. They played Monday through Wednesday at home against the Padres.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure they won, but I can't remember anything about that game. Wow!
0: No, they did not win. Wednesday, May twenty third, twenty eighteen. They lost three to one to the Padres. Okay. Uh, nope.
1: I remember absolutely nothing about that game. Wow!
0: All right, so we we stumped you once. For once.
1: Well, the twenty eighteen season is kind of a blur. All
0: right. Was is there a better year that I should ask about?
1: Well, twenty twelve will be my most impressive. I kind of have a. Uh, All right. A, encyclopedic knowledge by date of 2012 okay all right well
0: let's do it um i literally just swapped the year out so may 23rd 2012
1: okay who are they playing they
0: were playing the phillies oh i know this uh wait no i don't know this game
1: no uh all right hang on and this is not going to make for good podcasting because i'm gonna have to think about this
0: no that's okay
1: uh all right game of the series
0: Uh, the game of the series was, uh, let's see, I'm looking at the summary here. Um, I believe that this was the first game of the series, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Okay. Oh boy. No, this is, hang on. So, (sighs) Uh, it
0: might not be actually.
1: You give me one thing Oh that no 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 no, no
0: no no! The Nats were looking to sweep the Phillies in this game.
1: Okay. Uh, let's see. This was at CBP. Um. Yes. Okay. Was it a five to two game? Did Roy Holiday start it? No, that was uh
0: that was actually a different game. Uh, that was the
1: twenty first, I guess. You're right. Yep. Yeah. All right. I couldn't remember if that was the first, or the last game of that series. Okay. Was it a game started by Cliff Lee where Danny Espinosa homered?
0: Nope, that was actually a different game.
1: That was the second game of that. That was the second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God! Okay. Brutal. This is this is rough. This is embarrassing. That's okay. Uh, okay.
0: I'm gonna cheat. I'll help you a little bit. Give um, me a
1: little help. Cole Hamill's pitched. Okay. So this no, is... that I that does not. Hang on. Cole Hamels has pitched against the Nats so many different times. That's true.
0: All right, but he's only pitched once on May 23rd, 20 uh 2012.
1: That is true. Okay. I'm going to have to think about He faced he faced
0: Edwin Jackson.
1: See, I have in my head a game started by Hamels in which Ryan Zimmerman hit two home runs. Although no, that was started by Cliff Lee. It was. Oh boy, that shit. <laughs> no i might have stumped you you have single-handedly ruined my reputation
0: (laughs) well uh i here we go all right well that was actually a game the phillies won
1: four to one okay that Uh, sounds like a very unmemorable game it was
0: uh that was a game that uh they i think they busted up a potential sweep of the nationals if i'm not mistaken
1: that sounds about right. Hang yeah. on.
0: So uh there you go. All
1: right. Well uh we we, we give me hop- one give me one more game to let, let myself redeem myself. All right. A okay. Bit.
0: Um one sec. I have a I have a game that uh we're gonna we're gonna end this on a positive vibe. Uh okay, one sec. I'm looking up the date, uh and you're gonna know this pretty much as soon as I say it. Um let's try April four or April thirtieth, twenty seventeen.
1: That's easy, twenty-three to five. Come All on. All right. Man.
0: Uh, and what was the most memorable thing of that game?
1: Well, Anthony Rendon's ten RBIs, or the fact that they scored, you know, twenty-three runs is pretty good. Yeah,
0: yeah. Actually, okay. Funny story about that game. I was actually. Um, this is going to get me kicked out of law school. It's fine. Uh, I was actually in the middle of a, t- a four-hour take-home final when that game happened. And uh, I had to, like, take a break from, like, the final because I'm like, wait, 23 to 5? That can't that can't be right. And indeed it was. So, uh, oh,
1: And by the way, now that I've looked at uh, the 2012 game, I do remember it. I have a vivid memory of Adam LaRoche hitting a home run in the ninth inning of that game. Right down the right field line, uh, right below the second deck off of Jonathan Papelbon. Yep, but I, uh, I not, don't think Not that the most count.
0: consequential home run in the history of the world, but uh... no, but I do remember it. <laughs> yeah,
1: there you go. I'm there not. You... I'm not Rain Man. I need some sort of stimulus to jog my memory. <laughs> All uh, right. Well. Uh... This is a bad segment.
0: No, that's right. This is a great segment. Uh, no,
1: I feel all of the horrible. all I'm of the eight poor. people
0: that are gonna that are gonna make it this far in an almost hour long podcast are gonna oh, enjoy boy. the crap out of this segment. It's gonna be great.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah, if they can stand to listen to me for fifty minutes, then hopefully they can stand a. To- Watch me embarrass myself for 10 more.
0: There you go. There you go. Well, we all know that me looking up and picking random dates and totally having this planned out perfectly is great podcasting, is it not? Yes.
1: Everyone loves a podcast that requires substantial research during the podcast.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, uh, Jacob, this is, uh, this is this has been great. I've actually had a great time, uh, regardless of that disaster of a segment. Um, <laughs> do you want to you – know,
1: uh, you can cut the segment. Uh, this is not live to air. No,
0: no, I'm gonna, we're going to keep it. I, I believe okay. in warts and all, and it has nothing to do with the fact that my knowledge of audacity is still uh, less than audacious at this point. So uh, <laughs> there you go. All right. um, if you stay for this long, you can hopefully get that great little play on words, which actually doesn't even make a ton of sense. Um. All right, Jacob, we're at an hour. Plug some stuff. Let's get out of here. What uh? Where, where can people find you and uh, talk about your podcast a little bit?
1: Sure, you can find me. uh, My podcast is called The Rashcast. It's on SoundCloud. Uh, We just did our World Series preview episode, which uh, if you already listened to an hour of this, you probably don't need to listen to 35 more minutes of me talking about the World Series. But uh, I do the podcast every week, or now that the Nationals have been uh, extremely hot and managed to make it this far, I've been doing it, twice or three times a week i do it with my brother johnny who is just as big a nats fan as i am uh and uh, i guess the only other thing to plug would be you can follow me on twitter at serious Damage. if my podcast and this podcast are not enough unfiltered thoughts from me uh there are other ways to find me there
0: you go there you go all right well uh thank you for listening to this episode of japers rank radio um if you complete it to the end here um I'm gonna give you a code word, and if you say it, then I'm gonna give you a shout out on Twitter. And uh, <laughs> the code word is um, "Coppertone Sport." That's gonna be that's gonna be where we go with this. Uh, so if you make it, I appreciate it. Um, if you uh, want to listen, rate, subscribe, review, do all those kind of great things, uh, you can do that. Follow me on Twitter at uh, GregY_JR. And uh, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me, Greg.